0: Guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Listening, more specifically, to an unscripted episode, and I feel like I should specify when that's the case, because I know that it's inclined to just sort of hit a wall. But the reason this one is not scripted is because yesterday, I tried recording an episode that was scripted, and I got all the way through it, but for some reason, I was having issues pronouncing words and making the sentences come coherently together and but whatever fucking i recorded it and i was like deal with it tomorrow when i'm when it's time to edit and then i can sort of make sense of the edited thing and so here i am i've been here for over an hour trying to piece that episode together but it's like The first half of one sentence can be used, and then two takes later I use the second half of the sentence, but they're in a different pitch, so the sentence modulates. I have this sort of compulsive, like addictive attitude toward productivity. And I just, I'm always throwing good money after bad money. If I spend 30 minutes recording something, and then the next day I sit down to edit it, rather than like allowing myself five minutes to determine that like, okay, I fucked this up the first time, let me do it again, quickly, rather than waste my evening trying to salvage the thing I did yesterday. I never do that. I always, like, just try to salvage the thing. And I end up burning a shitload of time in corrections that could all have been saved by simply doing the thing over again. And, coincidentally, I say I've been feeling lately, but I've been feeling for, like, two days since I submitted the completed draft of Cuba Fruit to the three agents who requested it. I've been feeling like I need to get out of this compulsively productive mindset. I do want to release as many podcasts as possible. I want to be working on the podcast every single day, but I also want to be doing other shit. I want to be bettering myself somehow, except I don't really know how to do that. And one of the things that's hampering my ability to do that is almost all of the reading that I've done for the past year has been pointedly directed toward Cuba Fruit, improving that book without like a goal in mind i don't know what to be reading and to just say to myself like okay well just read whatever the fuck you want to read there's too many books for me to do that and i get kind of add in my chair and i will pull out a stack of three books i'll put them on my bed and i'll say okay well just i'll hop among these three and this incidentally is why i think i'm start i'm gonna have to start leaving the fucking kindle at home because whenever i take a kindle somewhere i'll be reading something a passage will remind me of an element from another book I wanna be reading and then I'll close that book and I'll just scroll down, open the second book and I do this over the course of five or six books in, in the space of an hour. One of the things I'm reading at the moment is a collection Of journal entries from Joyce Carol Oates. They go from like 1974, I think up to 1982. And there's a passage, there's a period every single day she's ruminating a little bit on a kind of semi-mystical experience that she had. She doesn't really bog herself down in trying to explain it. Rather than describing the experience, she describes how defeated she feels in in trying to explain it to her husband. But there's a point in her semi-mystical period here where she says, like, in America, we always talk about keeping busy. When things are going wrong or you're distracted by some sort of troubling thought, everyone says, just keep busy. But her contention is that keeping busy is exactly the kind of behavior that stifles the creative impulse. And I don't know, maybe that's fucking happening to me. I've only been in this post cubafruit regimen for two days. But in those two days, I've been like, all right, I'm going to maintain the Cuba Fruit routine, which is wake up a little bit before dawn and then get to the coffee shop by 7 a.m. and work, you know, write for a few hours, do a little bit of reading and then go, go and do some more work. But it might be the case that without Cuba Fruit in my life, I need to have a new regimen that doesn't have a novel as its center. And it's making me wonder, like, yes, my productive moments were very much oriented around the task of creating and finishing a novel. And now, without a novel that I'm working on, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe it isn't only my schedule and regimen that needs to change. Maybe there are other things in my life going on that need to change. Like it's conceivable that my fucking job at the restaurant, which I'm dreading returning to in April, maybe that is something that was useful for Cuba Fruit. And I don't know, maybe that novel milked the value of working in that place. Another thing I've been reading is uh, Benjamin Mosier's biography, of the writer Susan Sontag. And Susan Sontag did write a lot of stuff in her life, but she's one of these writers who posthumously, her body of work is informed so much by her voluminous diary. And her diary, in her diary, she's so consumed with like metamorphosis and constantly growing and the responsibilities of sort of an intellectual life. I don't really think that I live an intellectual life, but it's the artsy life as well. The life of ideas and of expression. And I like to tell myself, I guess because my creative regimen is constantly disrupted by a very silly job that demands nothing of me except my body and my time and the overwhelming majority of my patience. I tell myself that, like, oh man, if only I didn't have that job, I would get so much more shit done. I would constantly be growing and getting new ideas and experience. constantly. It makes me lust for a sort of sedentary life at my desk or on the couch with books and with things to write and things to record. But then, and I think I experienced some degree of this in the early days of quarantine, once I am actually presented with just an open vista of time that I can fill as I please, I think I start butting my head against the fact that my consciousness, like, the, the inhabiting the self that is Alex, it's not enough. I need more shit in my life than just this creative solitude. And I wonder that so much about Joyce Carol Oates because she's so crazy fucking prolific. And I feel bad kind of mentioning it because she herself is a bit bothered by the way that critics are always bringing this up and how critics seem constantly flustered and have seemed constantly flustered by the fact that she releases, you know, three to five books in a given year, Joyce Carol Oates is now in her eighties, and I think she has almost two hundred books to her credit. And the re- but the reason I'm consumed by the idea of her productivity is because it attests to a certain kind of sensibility. It, it attests to someone whose mind is not only like is not only unrelentingly creative, but is also just not the kind of mind that bogs itself down in self-doubt and in self-analysis. Like, clearly the journals show that she's incredibly introspective, but it's not a kind of toxic introspectiveness that I have, or she's, like, pounding her head against whatever it is that she just wrote, trying to constantly push it uphill towards some cr- more spot-on realization of whatever, it, whatever idea birthed the book. I feel like I'm fucking rambling, sorry! But in reading... Her diary entries, and in reading the Susan Sontag biography and seeing how prevalent her own personal writing is, I've started keeping a journal. And fucking, did I just use, switch to the shift to the use to the word journal because I think there's something too feminine about the word diary? I don't know. I don't like it if I did diary. I started a diary. <laughs> And I've been fucking writing in it, but what inhibits my use of the diary is my fucking carpal tunnel, and then my fingers go numb, so it's like, oh man, I would fucking be able to penetrate to new vistas of myself if only my fingers didn't hurt. Obviously, that's me letting myself off the hook. But I know that part of what inhibits my diary writing is a sense that, like, I'm not going to be able to show this to anyone. Why do this if I'm not going to be able to generate attention from it and at the same time i get these invasive thoughts about what i want to do with the cuba fruit sequel because something i haven't really dished here is that i do kind of think of cuba fruit as being a trilogy i would like to write two more volumes but i feel like writing i'm why i'm do i write that if i don't have a book deal if no agent shows any interest in publishing volume one of this story why would i go on into writing volumes two and three and that makes me question like what is the sincerity of my commitment to this to this craft is there something suddenly ignoble and less sincere about my writing if i suddenly no longer want to pursue a a project given that it doesn't already have a pre-existing audience? you know you have these ideas of the integrity of an artist and not selling out and like if you're sincere in your pursuits, then you you wouldn't let the lack of an agent or of an audience inhibit you from practicing your craft. But you know what? I don't know if that's particularly true. Because, yes, this is my sort of vocation. I do want to make a life out of this, but I, that's the thing. I want to make a career of it, too. Making a career of it is what would allow me to make a life of it. And when I look at Joyce Carol Oates's life, it seems like all she has ever done is just relentlessly write, relentlessly publish, and relentlessly teach, and she has spoken about how much she loves doing all three of those things. And, clearly, neither one of them impedes the productivity, the production of the other two. And incidentally, j- just to know- so it doesn't seem like I was doing anything very interesting, with the podcast I had recorded yesterday, it was entirely about, like, David Remnick. I did a little, like, three or four-part series in the podcast. If you comb through the archive, you might find it called David Remnick is Fucking Terrific. And it was, like, a comedic thing just because I find him super... In- I Here's something he mentioned in a recent interview. He was talking... The, the interviewer had pointed out to him... Uh, What does it feel like to be the editor-in-chief of The New Yorker? Because you can get any writer to write about anything. It's a very powerful position, and Remnick is like, it's a very powerful position. And Remnick said in response, like, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. People do say no to me, but I never lose sight of the fact that they aren't aren't cozying up to me. They're cozying up to the position. They're not interested in David Remnick as a human being. They're interested in befriending and cajoling the editor-in-chief of the New Yorker magazine. And I think that's part of what fascinates me, is the idea that whoever is the editor-in-chief of the New Yorker magazine has to have their toe dipped in a million different stories at once. It's part of what makes me so fascinated about the presidency and why I'm reading all these presidential biographies. Anyways, I'm fascinated by david remnick because he occupy not only does he occupy such a position but he is very eloquent about it and he's down to earth and he can speak openly and you know on the drop of a hat he allows conversation he allows interviews to sort of zigzag zigzag big, big, big. i would love if joe biden was that kind of guy i like joe biden i know that's a touchy thing i like him a lot but he's not really great at talking about his role anyways what well, yesterday's but the, the episode I had recorded yesterday was about was this, how David Remnick, because in the early 90s, he was the Moscow correspondent for the Washington Post and he lived there for several years, he now is doing a circuit of podcast interviews and he's writing a lot for the New Yorker, uncharacteristically so, in response to the issue of Putin's invasion and war upon the Ukraine. And one of the things that was discussed in a recent interview that he gave is, you know, you write these things about the war in Ukraine, or you write these things about the Trump administration, and you can be brilliant, and you can, uh, you know, unmask crimes and shit, but at the end of the day, it's probably not changing things. And Remnick concedes, I thought it was a great line, he said, yeah, you cannot block a cruise missile with a well-crafted sentence. But And so that made me examine, like, why am I reading so much about Ukraine, particularly when I'm drinking? When I am at the bar and I'm having, you know, beers one, two, and three, that's when I go on Reddit, and I look at, like, the grisly footage of what's going on in Ukraine. I read about the atrocities, um, I read about the positive sides, the negative sides. Why am I so intent, particularly on tipsily immersing myself? In that kind of thing and i was I, the conclusion i was trying to come to in an artful way and completely fucking up is that from the first sip of beer it's not even the alcohol acting upon me i think it's a pavlovian response as soon as i get my first sip of my ritual evening three i suddenly realize okay i am now engaging that process of the evening wherein i become more emotionally in- available more in tune with The emotions I tend to tamp down over the course of the day, which are emotions like fear and guilt and dread, shame. And I think it's something about, I think it's something to do with guilt and shame about my remove, my geographic remove from the war in Ukraine, but also my like fucking existential remove from the realities of Ukraine. Because from day one, when he started that, when Putin launched that first barrage of bombs on the edge of Ukraine. I was watching that from a fucking coffee shop. On my phone, nothing about my routine was remotely disrupted. And now, as Russian forces move closer and closer into the heart of Ukraine and you see just fucking desiccated shells of buildings that have been bombed and bodies in the streets and shit and people fucking marching a thousand miles to Poland, however far it is. And then I'm like, ho-ho, looks really bad, and then I order french fries. And I go about a daily life in which everything in my immediate fucking vicinity is completely the same. And I just thinking like there, I'm clearly pursuing some kind of intellectual atonement by miring myself in the horrors from which from which I am just by by luck I happen to be completely geographically removed. You know what? Maybe this is the reason why I couldn't fucking record that episode is because I was trying to now. Na- Obviously, that's a topic of like visceral emotional substance for me, and I was trying to be very like by the book, and I was trying to be monitored and respectful and journalistic and to read the lines from the script that'll be another thing maybe that's fucking part of my post cuba fruit transformation not leaning on the written word obviously obsessing over the written word and reading a bunch of shit. but like this is a different medium maybe i should not be so like doggedly scripting these things and then adhering to the script and yeah this can be the process of like wriggling out of my shell my little cocoon into the new post-Cuba Fruit person that maybe I have to become. That's another fucking thing. Dude, news broke yesterday, and I got a whole podcast coming up about this, but news broke yesterday about two new Cormac McCarthy novels that are coming out this year, and Cormac McCarthy is, like, the opposite of Joyce Carol Oates, not in terms of sensibility or anything, but, like, he releases... this This is gonna be his first novel in 16 years since The Road came out in 2006. Joyce Carol Oates, meanwhile, is writing as many books as exist in his entire career every year or every, you know, 19, 20 months. Anyways, clearly I have a lot to think about and I'm going to continue to do that. It is 6 p.m. on the day I intend to post this and at like 7.30 I have, I'm going to be meeting my girlfriend for beer and then I have to wake up really fucking early because I broke a tooth and I'm going to the dentist tomorrow to have that tooth fixed. Anyways, thanks for listening and for fucking sticking around while I ramble in an agitated way about the fact that I clearly don't know how to do a podcast.